Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. I'm Travis. Kyle is here. He's over there. I can see him out there, anywhere, everywhere, in the air. Today, we're going to talk a bit about the Bears, but I think we're also going to talk a little bit about other interesting notes around the league. Well, are, are we, do, we should have planned this out in advance. Are we going to do that today? Because, I mean, next week is a whole-ass bi-week episode. There will not be a single big thing. And we missed last week because of the turkey. Um, folks, I'm sorry that you are not more important to us than our Thanksgiving holiday. Um, That's right. That's right. We did forget to do that. But uh, I think there's two kind of important Bears games that happen in the interim, and we need to talk about them, and they might take up most of this. Because uh, then, then next week we got the bye week, or we, we could just not talk about the Bears at all. That, that's an option. Um, that's true. That's true. I mean, the only thing I really wanted to hit was the Panthers because, but that's Bears news too. That's Bears news, right? Yeah, well, because that's our we'll pick. We'll get there. Uh, so in the in the absence in, or in the interim while we were gone, there were two Bears games, and they were very interesting because the first one demonstrated why in any good organization Matt Eberflus should be fired already. And the second one, I fear, demonstrated why the Chicago Bears might talk themselves into keeping this dumb motherfucker. So that's where I think we are. I mean, I think that's the main topic of discussion right now. Is because after that Detroit game, there were leaks coming out. Adam Johns, who had said before that game that it was 60 40 that Eberflus stays. Uh, he suddenly changed his tune. Brad Biggs suddenly changed his tune. Um, there were leaks coming out that Kevin Warren wanted to bring in his own guys. Um, might be Ryan Poles out too. Every, the sky was falling, which is what should happen when you are, I think, what? The only team, they said, in NFL history that possessed the ball for 40 minutes in a game was plus three in the turnover margin and led and never trailed until the last minute to lose a game. They had no other team in NFL history had done everything the Bears did in Detroit and lost that game. It should have been a slam dunk. I could, they already had the Denver collapse this year. Um, but it's not a slam dunk. It's never a slam dunk with the Bears because they never fire coaches in season. And they love, love to keep guys for the slightest bit of mediocrity because the McCaskies, for whatever reason... Instead of just losing a lot, they really think the worst thing that you can do as an org is have a lot of turnover because that makes you look chaotic. Yeah, they look like the Browns of yore when they were firing a coach every single year. Um, that's what their worst fear is. So you know, this is an organization that cited a six-game losing streak by Matt or by Matt Nagy as reason for keeping him. They were like, this guy showed a lot of composure while he was losing six games in a row. And that's why we think he's the right man. And, you know, I just want to scream at the top of my lungs, did you know that no great coach loses six games in a row to fucking begin with? That's almost half a season in a row. And here we are with Matt Eberflus, where I can tell you right now what I believe the story that Alice Hall is trying to write right now, what they all believe, which is... We had a bad luck 0-4 start. We had a lot of young players. Um, Our defensive coordinator went AWOL. But after that, we have righted the ship, Travis. We are 4-4 in our last eight games. 
And we could end the season at six and eleven. Hell, we could end it at seven and ten. That is progress. And you gotta remember we were three and fourteen last year. So folks, that is progress. And I think that's the story you're to tell in Hallis Hall right now, Travis. And if that's the story being told, what would be your rebuttal? I unfortunately I'm I'm getting concerned given the last few weeks, given the real tangible improvements on defense that this team could rip off a bunch more wins. This team could win eight or nine games because the Lions, they shit the bet on Thanksgiving. The Lions are looking bad. They're pulling the struggle bus. Uh, We could easily beat Detroit. We pretty much already did. And uh, even more concerning, or not concerning, I don't know whether I should be concerned or not concerned about this as a Bears fan. Justin Fields finally won a fucking game on a last-minute drive, and he made a big throw to do it. My concern is that if he's over that hump, we could just rattle off a bunch of wins, and there's no way Eberflus gets fired if we win eight games, right? Yeah. Let's say we beat Detroit. The Browns are they, – they can't play offensive football anymore. They're even worse than we were last year. We've got the yeah. Falcons. We've got the Cardinals coming up, Kyle. We, are, we have trash left on the schedule. Well, I'll tell you this. If Matt Eberflus actually does – pull off nine and eight, which probably makes the playoffs in the NFC. If he pulls off nine and eight after starting 0 and four, I almost agree that you don't fire the guy. I think we we have have to, right? that nine of eight was like the best case scenario for this roster. So if he pulls off the best case scenario with this roster, I guess you, you kind of have to keep, I don't think that's going to happen. What I am far more concerned about is six and 11 or even seven and ten, and them talking themselves into this guy. I think I think six and eleven at this point. Just looking at the games we have to play, you, I think you still get fired at that point. Although it is the Bears, and as you illustrated, we defer towards retaining coaches. Right? We're not. We would rather retain a coach than fire him. But you look at the five games we've got left. Sure, maybe you lose at home to a Detroit team that you absolutely destroyed for most of that game until we just, we, we pulled the old lovey ball, right? We, we decided to let their offense run us over because we thought we had a big enough lead. And I had horrendous flashbacks to prevent preventing winning uh, and everything that all of the old men said when we were teenagers. Uh, But, but that's a team that we basically beat. And then we've got Browns, Cardinals, Falcons, Packers, just, you know, just this this murderous row of bad teams. Um, so I think I think going two and three the rest of the way, I think you could see like, okay, this team has not really progressed. We would have to lose to bad teams, right? But god damn man, if they they could get to seven wins, they could get to eight wins here, and then I, I think we're just stuck. We're stuck with Eberflus, right? My worst fear is that they are at five and eleven entering the last game of the season. Oh, and they beat, Green they, Bay. they beat Green Bay, and with a with that Green Bay win fresh in his mind, George McCaskey lets the good vibes flow and just keeps everybody. This this I'm, Vikings game. The problem with this Vikings game is winning it got us over so many different humps. It's the Justin Field hump. It's Eberflus winning a divisional game. It's winning a divisional game on the road. I like it's beating a, a 500 football team. It's everything the bears wanted to do in one game. And if this is the, this is like the, the interim coach boost, almost you get this one win. Everybody gets a bunch of confidence and without replacing Eberflus, 
we're going to get that Romeo Cornell bump is my fear. And all of a sudden we run off these wins against teams that are either struggling like the Lions or teams that suck to begin with, like all four other teams that we're playing. And then, sorry, you're nine and eight. Yeah, like you said, maybe that's enough to make it into the playoffs. And suddenly we have to retain this shitty coach for one more year. And that's a problem because the Panthers have basically clinched a top three pick. It's probably going to be the number one pick. And then if we go nine and eight and hit the playoffs, are we suddenly just thinking we're going to keep everybody? Is this team going to stay the same way? And then next year we see that well, I mean, what they were to begin the year. Yeah, there are so many variables there. If, if something like if a run like that happened, um, there are so many variables. Because, I mean, you can't, if Justin Fields makes the playoffs, even if we don't feel confident that he's a top five to ten quarterback, like, can can you really turn to that locker room and say, this guy just carried you to the playoffs yeah. and we're getting rid of him? Can you do that? Great question. Great question. If you're Matt Eberflus and you make the playoffs and you're 9-8 and eight this year and you're hoping to be like a, a serious – because, I mean, at that point that raises the bar. If you win, make the playoffs, then the goal of the next year is to contend for the Super Bowl. If you're Matt Eberflus, are you looking at a rookie quarterback and saying, I don't know, man, i got to win 11 games this year. Am I going to do that with a rookie quarterback? So, yeah, But I think we are getting ahead of ourselves. I really don't think are. they're going to win. They're not going to win nine games. If they reel off a six-game win streak to end this season, I will be flabbergasted. I am much more concerned with 6-11 and 11 or 7-10 and 10 being enough to get it done. Yeah, Because um, I was what I said a couple weeks ago when we first talked about it, when I was like, the, my greatest fear is a 6-11 and 11 season where the defense comes along and, and they beat up on a couple bad teams, and it, they can show progress, yeah. uh, and, and they pitch their case to the McCaskey based on that. And that's right now that, God, I, I hate that my gut tells me that's the most likely scenario we're looking at here. And then that's where it gets really muddy, because if they're 6-11 and 11 or they're 7-10, and 10, Justin Fields probably hasn't set the world on fire. So then you probably are looking at taking a quarterback with one of those top two picks. And do we really want Matt Eberflus picking a – the quarterback, the next quarterback for this franchise, if he's keeping Luke, Luke Getze, do we want Luke Getze? Uh, God, I mean, uh, Luke Getze, you want him picking the next quarterback that he wants to see operate and run five wide receiver screens in a row? I mean, yeah. it's... Well, I think, I think one thing, you're making a bit of an assumption in that you said that Justin Fields would have carried these Bears to those nine wins. It wasn't Justin Fields that won that game against the Vikings, that's for damn sure. Uh, it wasn't no, but I don't, 12 points. It's this defense. Which no, I agree. Really I agree. The, main reason, the main reason they have won four games when it looked like they weren't going to win any games a little while ago is that the defense has really turned around. At the same time, you very rarely have a six-game win streak solely on defense. You, 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 if, if, in, this, I'm just saying, in this hypothetical scenario where they get to nine and eight, sure. I think you have to have some fireworks from Justin Fields along the way. And that makes everything very muddy. Well, and, and not every team is the Vikings who just seem to understand that all you have to do to Justin is rush one extra guy and well, I mean, completely flummoxed. Well, and I mean, it, it, it's important to note that 12 points that they scored in Minnesota wouldn't even have been enough to win the last game that they played yeah. against the Vikings. Right. Um, <laughs> the, the, it's, it, we may... If all of this goes south, if the worst case scenario that I'm currently afraid of, which is Eberflus retained, 
either they keep Fields or they they take a quarterback, but then they fire Eberflus next year, and that quarterback is stuck in the same cycle from hell Justin's been stuck in, where he's with an administration that didn't pick him, isn't loyal to him, isn't committed to building around him. Um, and, the, and then the Bears just keep Bearsing. In the scenario where the Bearsing just keep Bearsing, we may look back on the Kirk Cousins injury as what was the turning point for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> because if that game had been started by Kirk Cousins, is there any question that the Bears win or the Bears lose? Like, that game was entirely Josh Dobbs, a career backup, who had a nice little story going. But that is the thing with career backups that have nice little stories. Those stories always end, and they almost always end the same way with a hard crash back to earth, and he had his. Um, yeah. If it's not Josh Dobbs, if it's Kirk Cousins, the Bears are probably not winning that game, and they're probably – there are whispers that if the Bears lost in Minnesota, Iberfus was getting fired that night. So we may look back as the Kirk Cousins injury that actually fucked our franchise, not the Vikings, our franchise. That's the worst-case scenario. Okay, um, so, so here's the deal. I think the real – the real question here, the only thing that could really save us from Eberflus, right, is a coaching candidate that the Bears just can't deny. And Ben Johnson probably isn't that guy, but I think I we both know. know. Oh, I think, so we have to ask ourselves a question, Kyle. Would you rather retain Eberflus for one more year or throw the bag at Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> because the reports, the reports since the Vikings game have been that the Bears are still considering just going and getting Jim Harbaugh if he's available, regardless. Uh, Yeah. See, here's the thing about Jim Harbaugh. I have long maintained that if – I think people talk about his, like, tragic exit from San Francisco and how it plunged the 49ers into darkness. I think that man – got out on the first lifeboat on the Titanic. I think that roster was was falling apart anyways. Okay. Um, and they went 8-8 eight eight his last season there. Um, and I think he, and his, his coaching staff was suffering brain drain. I mean, the thing about Jim Harbaugh is that he, he himself, his talent is that he is a program builder. And whether it was in college or whether it was in the NFL, he hires a top-notch staff. I mean, Greg Roman has sort of past his prime in the NFL now, but Greg Roman in 2011 was a revolutionary guy. Um, He was the guy that discovered Vic Fangio. I mean, he built a hell of a staff. He's built a hell of a staff at Michigan. He is a program builder. They have a clear identity. They do all of that stuff. Now, the problem that I have is that man's identity is still very much the same identity we've seen the Bears try so many times. He wants to run the ball, and he wants to win on defense. We'll get to talking about this in a couple of weeks when we when the season's over and we start talking about these quarterbacks in this draft because J.J. McCarthy's a guy that we'll probably talk about a little bit. Um, and J.J. McCarthy, when I dig into him, the big concerning thing with him is that he just doesn't have a lot of dropbacks. He just doesn't. They just don't They don't throw the ball. Even in uh, – we saw it going into the Penn State and Ohio State games. We were like, okay, now we're finally going to get to see – Michigan have to win a game throwing the ball. We're going to have to see J.J. McCarthy. And they just didn't. They threw eight passes against Penn State. They, Jim Harbaugh was like, nope, I'm going to, I am going to beat you to death Chicago Bears style. That's where that, – those are my roots. Now, do I think he is more competent at executing that style of offense than most of the guys who try it? Yeah, absolutely. But I still think there is a hard ceiling – 
on that style of football in the NFL. It's not college football. You can't just run the ball 50 times a game because you have five five stars on the offensive line and the other guy doesn't. You're going to have to have a more advanced and more progressive offensive philosophy. Uh, and that's where that's where that can I, – I feel like Harbaugh is absolutely a floor-raising coach. Um, yeah. I, but what does he do for your ceiling? And it – if we're being honest, the ceiling here is trying to win Super Bowls, and I, I don't know that I feel comfortable he can do that. Um, I mean, he hasn't won a, the playoff in college, which is again, it's a little more unfair. It's a little harder than trying to win the Super Bowl in some ways because the, the field is so much bigger. But on the other hand, he's basically dog-walked to the playoff the last couple of years, and it still hasn't happened. Um, and, I mean, he's not going to make it this year because, of course, my Iowa Hawkeyes will, will stop him tomorrow. Oh, good God. That is... <laughs> Get ready, ready folks. It's going to be the seven to, seven to five fucking wrench fight in college football. Oh my God. Uh, anyways, no. Um, and the other thing with Jim Harbaugh too, is that the rumors have long been that if Jim Harbaugh comes back to the NFL, he doesn't want to just be a head coach. He wants to be Bill no, Belichick. Yeah. You he are giving him your team. You're yes. giving him everything. And that is where, I mean, obviously if you're just asking me, would I take Matt Eberflus or Jim Harbaugh? all things being equal, absolutely I'm taking Jim Harbaugh. But all things are not being equal. Because the thing about Matt Eberflus is if they do keep him and it's the worst case scenario, they really next year they're probably firing him and then you just move on and you hire another head coach. But if you hire Jim Harbaugh, you're probably paying him an ungodly amount of money. You're committing to him almost certainly for at least four or five years no matter what happens, unless he's like apocalyptically bad. Because we know the Bears don't like to pay multiple head coach salaries at the same time. That's for damn sure. And, we and, and you're also coaches. letting him... He'll be here forever, yeah. And you also, you're also basically making him your GM. You're giving him control of your roster. And you've got premium draft picks and a lot of good opportunity to, to do this um, or to build this roster and, and trusting the keys to a guy who's been in college football for almost a decade, over a decade at this point. I mean, God, how long has it been since he Couldn't was be. Couldn't be. 20, it was 2014 was his last year. So it's been nine years. Yeah, almost ten years. Yeah. So I don't – yeah, I, I guess in that scenario, I'd rather just keep Matt Eberflus because I know I can fire him. Uh, if I take Jim Harbaugh, I can't get out of that. I, yeah. I cannot escape that. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I would keep Matt Eberflus there. Now, again, we I think you and I both agree the best-case scenario is the Bears taking an objective look at Matt Eberflus. And I would look at that Detroit game, and I know it's just one game. You can look at the Detroit game, and you can look at the Denver game. You can look at a couple games last year. Matt Eberflus has shown you who he is. And it's the same thing. It's the same guy that we feared and knew he probably was going to be when the Bears hired another Tampa 2 defensive coordinator head coach. He wants to win on defense. He wants to run the ball. He thinks the offense's main job is to not put the defense in bad spots. That's what, that's his philosophy, and we have seen the, and they hired him because they they themselves were nostalgic for Lovey Smith because that was the last sustained run of competence we've had. But pe- that has blinded them to the memory of the fact that even then that wasn't good enough. That philosophy, that Lovey Smith philosophy, every year ran up against Aaron Rodgers, who was often playing with the twenty eighth ranked defense or some bullshit, and some wide receivers that he that they drafted or that were undrafted. I mean, just some scrappy dudes. And you know what? He shredded their buttholes every time. 
Mm-hmm. He treated that Tampa 2 defense like it wasn't even there. Because all of that, all of your program building, and you can have the 52 other better guys, all of that can be rendered inert when the other guy has a demigod at quarterback. It is so hard to win championships in the NFL by trying to just build the... I mean, look how close the 49ers have come. The 49ers have had unquestionably the best roster in football for like five years running. They still haven't done it. They still haven't. So, I mean, if... If we're talking about the end game being the Super Bowl, that's a bit unfair only because, you know, like the only guy who's done it has been Pat Mahomes. No, but, uh, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I mean, look, but I mean, the end game is a Super Bowl. Like, you want to, you can't just say, well, Pat Mahomes is going to win all the Super Bowls, so we can't even try. You can't say that. But if you, so realistically, if you want to win a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. the best way to do that is to build a team that makes the playoffs every year. You need to just punch your ticket every year and hope that one of those years you will get the right combination of talent and luck that you run the gauntlet and win one. We know this has been documented with every statistic that we have. You can just take a look around the league at the guys who do it. We know that the teams that consistently make the playoffs every year are offense driven. Offense is more stable year to year than defense. It just is. That's a proven fact at this point. We have seen, I mean, we saw the Denver Broncos did drag Peyton Manning's corpse to a Super Bowl with one of the greatest defenses in NFL history. We did see it. People like to point to it. And then they, they refused to look at like, well, what happened after. Because the last time Patrick Mahomes won a Super Bowl, or not the last time, but the first time Patrick Mahomes won a Super Bowl, his ass was back in the Super Bowl again the next year. He, Patrick, and then he was in, he's never not made it to an NFC championship in his entire career. You can basically punch his ticket into the Final Four every year. Yeah. But the Denver Broncos haven't made the playoffs since winning that Super Bowl with that great defense. That's how reliable a historically great de- – the Bears had a historically great defense in 2018. Serious to God, by DVOA, one of the 10 best defenses in the history of the National Football League. They haven't won nine games since. That should tell you what the value of the best defense is, what the value of running the ball, what the value of the best overall roster is versus having a quarterback and an offense that can carry you to wins consistently in the NFL. That should be the value you are looking for. That should be the philosophy you are aiming for. So you and I both, I think, if it were us, right now Matt Eberflus would be fired. We'd already be talking to Ben Johnson. And we'd be telling Ben Johnson, hey, why don't you uh, while well, you have some free time between Lions games, why don't you start watching Drake May and Caleb Williams and you tell us which of those guys you like best. Because yep. that's we'll that's, take whichever I, one. I don't care. That would be the plan. That would be the plan. What we're most likely looking at is a scenario where, God, they're retaining Eberflus, they're making a pick between Fields and a rookie quarterback. There are probably pressures to win immediately in twenty twenty five that are gonna make possibly influence that decision in a bad way. Uh, you you can just see on the horizon the storm clouds of the bad process that has always plagued the Bears because of the people that run them. No, it is. I, I mean, we're at the point in the season where I feel like that scene from V for Vendetta where the old detective is like, is like I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I can see all of the events unfolding in front of my mind. And then it starts to play as, as all of these things happen. And I could see with the Bears just like, 
yep, we're going to retain Eberflus and he'll scapegoat Getsy because we'll have to get rid of somebody and he'll hire an offensive coordinator who we just know right off the bat isn't going to be great. And then we're going to have to retain Fields and we'll sign Marvin Harrison Jr. with the first overall pick and everything is going to go to shit. Uh, and, you know, next year we're just going to see the end of the Nagy era, and then we'll have to pick some scrap heap head coach again, but it'll be a young, offensive-minded coach because we always bounce back and forth, and it's just on and on and on. Uh, and I think it's worth it's worth saying, too, about the Vikings game, like, just looking back at that tweet we mentioned the last time we were on the podcast, right? Look at the quarterbacks who the Bears have beaten, right? We're just adding Josh Dobbs to that list. Like it's, we're not, we haven't beaten any good quarterback at this point, right? We're just still beating scrubs. And when this defense runs up against a good quarterback, and I, I guess I don't know if we count Jared Goff among those or not, because we did do very well against a good Lions offense. Um, but we still haven't, we haven't beaten anybody of quality. Now, if we beat Jared Goff this upcoming week at home, maybe we've, we've got to look at that again and say, all right, this defense is really looking good. But I mean, I think we've spent enough time talking about this because it is kind of us projecting into the future. Um, and maybe we should talk about more what's tangible. And what's tangible is, at this point, we can't deny how good this defense has looked, right? These guys are developing. It seems like a lot of these picks. Hey, Jervon Dexter has been the second best defensive lineman taken in this draft. The dude is a stud out there. Uh, our secondary is looking good. Tremaine Edmonds has picked it up the last three or four weeks and is looking like the guy we actually signed. I officially can't deny that the defense actually looks solid. This is a good defense that the Bears have. Uh, is this is this hopeful for you, Kyle? Is this still uh, is this still like kind of smoke and mirrors because we've been playing bad quarterbacks? Or I don't think it's smoke and mirrors. I think that there is a baseline level of good talent on that defense now. And it's is it, coming. Is it Montez sweat? Is it just Montez sweat is that good? He was the piece. I don't think it's Montez, just Montez sweat. He's a huge piece of it. I mean, for one, Montez sweat is, this was already a very good run defense and Montez sweat yeah. is an elite run defender that they've added. You cannot run the ball against this bears team right now. Nobody has yeah. done it successfully. The only problem is, is that yeah. the problem is that when they face like, Justin Herbert, he's like, that's fine. I will just go 16 for 16, finding the holes in your zones. But I think two things have happened over the last couple of weeks. There was a stretch there where Eddie Jackson and Jalen Johnson were both gone, um, and they didn't have Montez Sweat yet. So they, they not only has Montez Sweat been added to the mix, they have also gotten their secondary healthy. Yeah. Um, and Jalen is playing like one of the best corners in the NFL right now. And and we, I think, are we officially on... Are we officially going to pay decide. that man? Just pay that? Like, I mean, it sucks. It doesn't I, I matter. Understand. It doesn't matter the amount. He's so yeah. good right now. I understand for Ryan Poles, like, you you were, like, hoping to get the guy on a bargain, I think. But when you tell the guy to prove it, and he has proven it as hard as J.J. has proven it, like, you got to pay the guy. At the very least, you got to tag him, which I'm sure they will. That's why they, yeah. they extended sweat. They kept the tag open. We've avoided that doomsday scenario that we did break down a couple weeks ago. So kudos to polls there. But, I mean, this the talent is there. And that's why I think you and I both are, like, noted that, like, the talent is there. And also, this talent would also fit just fine in a 3-4. You can adapt this person. These corners are press man corners, a lot of them. You can make it work in a 3-4. Yeah. 
So, like, that for us is the defense is coming along, and I think for some people that's like, well, that's Fluss's baby. That's why you can't fire him. His side of the ball is coming along. And I'm like, yeah, but the thing is that, like, his scheme is nothing special. It's really not. Uh, those players are coming together. Right. What we talked about earlier this season was we thought that the talent on this defense was being held back by the scheme, that it was such a basic scheme, that the scheme was so default, so well-known around the league, that the talent simply couldn't overcome it. And what we saw against the Vikings was, God, the thing we thought they were going to do at the beginning of the year, right, is they would come out and they would pretend to be running the 4-3, the base cover two. And then one of the interceptions that Jalen had, he made it look like the hole, the hole in the 4-3 cover two was going to be there. And he just instantly faded backwards yeah, and just baited. lifted his hand up. He baited that throw. It was a throw right to where it should be if you were playing against the Tampa 2. And oops, sorry, Jalen just walked back right to the ball right where he knew it was going to be. Another throw, TJ Edwards got an interception off the same exact thing. He just made it look like the cover two was happening. It wasn't. He wandered over right to where they expected the ball to be. So I don't know if it's the play calling or if it's the players saying, man, I know what they're going to do. I know what they're going to do if they see what I'm running. So I'm just going to hover back into this area because Jalen Johnson is that good of a corner right now. TJ Edwards is that good of a linebacker. Or is it Eberflus finally figuring out that his fucking defense is obvious and everybody is going to dunk all over it if he runs that thing over and over again? Either way, I would say the only thing we would need if we switch to a 3-4 on this defense is a stand-up outside uh, uh, the four, I guess, the edge uh, in the 3-4. And and guess what? You could go out and pick a guy who fits the defense for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I keep seeing that as a reason to to justify keeping Fluss because his side of the ball is coming along. But the thing is, like, it's it's more of a talent coming along than a coaching coming along thing, in my opinion. And so you can easily yeah. hand those. I mean, those corner. That's the nice thing about. I mean, we both said that was kind of weird when they drafted some of those corners. We were like, those guys are more press man. Like, like Tyreek Stevenson looks better when he's asked to press and play man than when he's asked to play zone. Yeah. Uh, Terrell Smith. Looks really good in man coverage. Jalen Johnson started his career in a 3-4 as a press man corner and is obviously very good at it. So we were like, these corners look like they belong in the other system. Yeah. Um, and and Montez Sweat has played as, at 3-4 outside linebacker and 3-4 edge when he was in Washington. They've they switched back and forth in his career there, and he's done just the same at, at fine at both. Um, Jervin Dexter, I think, can play a, a five technique in a, in a three, four, just fine. Oh, yeah. And we should shout out, shout out Jervin. He's been coming. He's been playing very well. He's really coming along. He was actually coming along faster than I thought he would be at this point in his career. So that, um, if we're going to try to expect him to be this good at, at pressuring the quarterback as he is yeah, right now, he's really he got called. He got called for a bullshit, uh, roughing the passer call against Minnesota. And he basically dominated. He didn't violate the laws of physics. Line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was and he destroyed Josh Dobbs. And he looked fantastic. I mean, he had against Detroit. He fucking bull rushed Penay Sewell. He did. Like that's that is a strong ass human being to do that. I we um, talked about we talked about how before the Lions game, how we thought there's no way this defensive line is going to get through one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. And they did. And they really and they did. did. Sweat they really and Dexter did. made just terrified and terrorized Jared Goff. And and we would have had that game won if we hadn't just changed what so, we were doing on defense. So I would say this. 
I think Ryan Poles has made a fairly strong case for his job these last couple yeah. weeks with these young players. Very this hard is to get the rid of mo- him at this point, right? This Especially is the key the moment where, where Ryan Poles right now is Schrodinger's GM. Because for me, whether I can say he is coming along as a good general manager or not entirely depends on whether he makes the right decision on Matt Eberflus, assuming it is his decision to make. Because actually, to, to make a good comparison across town um, is what the Cubs just did with Craig Council. They got rid of David Ross, and they made the move to get Craig Council because the best – they had an opportunity. They're ready to contend, they believe. And the best manager in baseball, in their opinion, was available, so they went and got him. And, and they did that the last time their window was opening up to get rid of Ricky Renteria, who most of us felt – did not really deserve to be fired. Yep. They did that to go get Joe Madden because he's, and it's a ruthless business sometimes. But I mean, so here's the thing, even if you like, let's say Matt Eberflus does get this team to seven and 10 and you don't truly deserve, believe he deserves to be fired. I'm here to tell you, that's not the question. The question is solely who do you think is the best coach for the Chicago bears going forward? But if you ask that question, you know that the thing that he thinks and the thing that the Bears organization thinks is not that Ben Johnson is the guy. They think that Jim Harbaugh is available and that he's the guy they need to get, right? That's the big sign. Right. Right. But let's just say in a sane world, Ryan Poles is in control and Kevin Warren gets to make the decisions. They say, like, look, maybe Matt Eberflus doesn't deserve to be fired. But it's not about Matt Eberflus. It's about the Chicago Bears. Sure. It's not about what's best or fair to Matt Eberflus. It's about what's best or fair for the Chicago Bears. It's the same with Justin Fields. You and I both like Justin Fields. Yeah. We still we have said over and over, if the Panthers pick did not belong to the Bears right now, we wouldn't even be looking at the quarterbacks in this year's draft because, like, I'm not taking quarterback three in this draft or quarterback four over Justin Fields. Yeah. But they have a chance at quarterback one. That's where you, the conversation comes in. Justin Fields is otherwise, he has made improvements from last year. Maybe not the vast, huge improvements that you would have wanted to see, but he has made improvements. He has improved at everything he needed to improve at a little bit, a decent bit. And you would hope that if he could do that from year two to year three, he could do that from year three to year four, knowing he probably also is getting a good wide receiver, to, another good wide receiver to help him out in the draft. But it's not about what's best or fair for Justin Fields. It's about what's best or fair for the Chicago Bears. And they will have a rare opportunity here to replace their coach with whomever they think the best head coach candidate on the market is. You and I think it's a guy like Ben Johnson. But the, the point they might think it's Jim Harbaugh. But the point remains that for the first time in God knows how many hiring cycles, the job is the Chicago Bears' job. Because you can look at the talent that is coming together on this roster. It's one of the youngest rosters in the NFL, and it is coming along. You can work with that defense. And you can work with that offensive line. They're only a center away. You can work with DJ Moore as your number one wide receiver. You can work with those running backs. You can work with everything that's there, and you will have your chance to pick either of two quarterbacks that most people consider to be generational prospect-level quarterbacks. And you have another first round pick, and you also have something like sixty million dollars in a cap effective cap space. This is the job. You will never hire from a better position of strength than you have this offseason. It's not about what's fair or right to Justin Fields or Matt Eberflus. It is about what's best for the Chicago Bears. And I will judge Ryan Poles as good as the players he's drafted have looked the last couple of weeks. 
I will judge Ryan Poles, the general manager, as to whether or not he is smart enough to realize that what is best for the Chicago Bears is to be ruthless and strike while the iron is hot and go out and get the top coaching candidate and go out and pick the top quarterback and really set – because the, the you actually have built up this roster. The core, I think, is mostly in place. There's a lot of talent there. You you are truly just a few pieces away, and you have the resources to get those pieces in this offseason. You – if you make the right moves, you will set yourself up for sustained success. So I can't say Ryan Poles is a good general manager right now. I think he his job looks safer than it did a couple weeks ago. But for me to say that he's good, now is the time. If this is your decision to make, buddy, you've got to make it. Yeah, so so here's the thing. Here, I, I know I've, I've kind of brought this up a couple times already, but I think we've kind of tied everything together. What you're saying about the Bears roster is absolutely correct. This is the job. Right now, this is the opening that you want. The Bears have a a shot at one of two generational prospects, and you get a pick. Uh, two, we have a defense right now uh, with young, stacked talent. Uh, we, you basically don't have to pay anybody for a couple years, right? We have to pay Jalen Johnson, and then you get to wait on the rest of these guys. It's structured well the way that we have to pay these guys to where someone's going to come off the books, and you get to replace them with a younger guy. It's fantastic. The offensive line has come along. Like you said, we really only need a center, which hypothetically is the easiest part of the offensive line to replace. We've just been... Connor Williams, is, Connor Williams is probably a free agent this year, and then boom, there you go. There's a plug-and-play. Yeah. We've, got, we've got DJ center. Moore. DJ Moore on a good contract and a shot at getting a better wide receiver in the draft, or at least a, you know a, an equivalent wide receiver. We have a great running back room. And the thing about all of the things I just said is, two years ago, we didn't have that. And Jim Harbaugh had interest, right? Back when we were going to hire Matt Nagy, Jim Harbaugh was interested. But again, we didn't have that, right? The Bears job wasn't a good job. It wasn't the best job in the NFL. I think maybe Ryan Poles doesn't even have to make this choice, right? Because the Bears are not only the best job in the NFL this offseason that's going to be available. I think it's a job that does perfectly fit what Jim Harbaugh is going to want as far as like, his legacy, where he wants to be. It's a town that loves him, whether or not you and I care for him at this point. This town is going to love him instantly. He is very much a Bears football coach. And I think right now, he looks at this roster, he looks at what he's got, he looks at the picks he has, and the and a team and a franchise that I think is going to be more than willing to give him the control that he desires. And I think he's, he's just going to be like, yeah, absolutely, dude, because he needs to get out of the NCAA right now, too. He needs a life raft because it seems like he is going to be punished even worse once everything comes out about the scandal he's currently embroiled in. I think everything is just lining up and we are going to have to deal with the Jim Harbaugh Bears here. Uh, I think it just matches up too well um, for better or for worse. Like I think, you know, it's kind of a monkey's paw scenario for us at least. You're going to get rid of Eberflus. You're going to get rid of Getze we're probably going to have like at least five years of Jim Harbaugh. Is it going to work? Let me tell you right now, folks, here's the deal. If we do get Jim Harbaugh, and I talked to you about this earlier this week, Kyle, this oh, isn't gonna talk, hiring. He's going to talk himself into it so hard. He is yeah, gonna, this isn't, this isn't a hiring be... <laughs> that we could make like, like, uh, uh, like Eberflus, right? Where immediately you and I were both like, well, this isn't going to work. Like, I just looking at this guy, I'm looking at his history, and I can already tell you it sucks. It was a bad decision, right? It isn't like Tressman, where, again, I immediately went on a huge rant, like, this is a stupid fucking hire. 
Harbaugh, we're going to hire him. And I'm going to be like, that's not what I would have done. And then I will immediately talk myself into it because he was successful at San Francisco. You will talk yourself because into it. Because everywhere so he's been, his players have loved the shit out of him. This is a guy who everyone would die for. Everyone who's ever played for him would die for this guy. This is a guy who got kicked out of San Francisco. Uh, and he had players just retire because rather than play for that organization that fired Jim Harbaugh, they just fuck, they just fucked off. You're like, no, sorry, I don't want to get the concussions anymore. That's the guy we would be getting, right? But right now, rational brain, rational Travis brain is saying, yeah, but I've been watching Michigan, and I do not want that to be my NFL team, right? Because basically, let's be honest, Jim Harbaugh in college is like Kirk Ferentz with better talent. That's it. And I don't want to watch that on Saturday and on Sundays. He runs the idealized version of the program that every Bears coach of our lives basically yeah. has wanted to run. He he succeeds with it right now, um, although, although, I mean, he hasn't won a national title, and who knows if he will. And I'm skeptical that he can. I think even in college, the way he chooses – I mean, this, this is a man who – he got a lot of credit back in the day for, like, making Stanford, like, a, a thing back in the day when he had Andrew Luck. I was always the one saying, I get that. And he has built a good defense there, and they, but like they're not beating Oregon and all of that. And I think part of the reason why is this man has Andrew Luck, and he wants, for some reason, to run his offense through fucking Toby Gerhardt. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's what I would worry about in the end. Like you can give this man Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck, and he will still say what I need to do is get 30 carries a game to Toby Gerhardt. The guy who's going to win the Heisman on this offense that has Andrew Luck is Toby Gerhardt. And that's what I can't get over about the idea about make. I feel like he is he is 100% a floor raiser. I would have a hard time ever seeing them doing a lot worse than seven or eight wins a year with Jim Harbaugh. But at the same time, it's so hard to see that style of football winning Super Bowls. And that's the thing is, and the reason that I'm going to be positive about it, if it happens is we've got that number one pick and you know, he doesn't want Justin Fields, right? If you get Jim Harbaugh, Fields is gone. He's drafting Drake May or Caleb Williams, probably Drake May. He's actually probably going to take Drake May now that I think about it, because Caleb Williams is not a Jim Harbaugh type of quarterback. He would rather have Drake May go out there. And we will basically be tortured with the San Diego, San Diego, with the Los Angeles Chargers offense. It'll be a very similar situation, except we'll have a good defense, right? We will watch the offensive coordinator not take full advantage of our talented quarterback. uh, And we'll probably trudge to 10. It's going to be, it's going to be very Bears-ish. It will be the most Bears shit uh, that we have ever seen. It will somehow be more Bears than Lovey Smith. And we will have to deal with it for probably the better part of a decade. Uh, but that's, again, that's a bridge that we'll have to cross when we get there. It's just, it just seems like everything is lining up so well for that to happen, right? We've got a head coach that we don't really want, that Poles doesn't really seem to like. We've got Kevin Warren here, who is maybe the only saving grace because we know he doesn't like Jim Harbaugh and we know Jim Harbaugh doesn't like him. Uh, but, you know, everything you said makes me feel like you're right. A premium head coach should want this job for the first time in the history of our organization. And the premium head coach that's available is Jim Harbaugh right now. That's it. Uh, 
I didn't honestly I didn't think we'd do this much Jim Harbaugh today. I'm I'm I don't <laughs> Well but then we don't got, have to talk about it next uh next week. More like harp gnaw if if you're asking me. Um <laughs> I know, I know. We don't have to talk about it now because I think we're gonna have to talk about it in a couple months, but uh it just, right, and then it just be- popped into my head. Like the talent on this team is good, and you're right, you keep telling me like what a job the Bears are right now. Like, what a what a chance for a head coach to take over a team with all these picks and the number one pick and all this young talent. Uh, and you're right, and I'm just, I think that's the guy, right? That's the guy who you would pay $8 million a year to, to coach this team. I guess. Um, so I guess maybe the last thing we should really talk about, since we did miss two games, is those are the two games – uh, since uh, Justin Fields has returned from injury. And, you know, we've, obviously we've talked about, um, you know, neither of us is obviously you can probably tell that neither of us has moved off the idea that if the Bears have a top two pick, uh, they probably need to, to still need to make that choice. But should we talk about how Justin has looked since he comes back? How have you felt about Justin since he's returned from injury? Yeah, I think I, I kind of teased that, but I, I don't think that last throw, as big as it was, and it was huge because the fact is Justin hasn't been able to do that his whole career. He hasn't been able to take the ball to salt a game away or to win a game and then to march down the field and really put his stamp on a drive to win a game, and he did that against Minnesota. The problem is the two throws right before the big throw he made to DJ Moore when he was wide open, uh, those two pass attempts were atrocious. They were god-awful. He had wide-open Tyler Scott in the middle of the field for 20 yards. Nobody around him. He was looking straight at him, and he could not pull the trigger. The next pass that he threw right after that, Equinemius St. Brown, and I know we don't necessarily want to trust the guy, the Vikings defense forgot he existed. Justin Fields was looking right at him on the right side of the field, and he would not throw the ball. He, he wouldn't do it, and then he ran to the left side of the field. And Equinemius is standing there with his hand up like, I, there's no if you threw it to him, it's a touchdown. He could have walked in because the whole Vikings defense forgot he was there. And then finally, DJ Moore got wide open. Nobody within 10 oh. yards of him. And finally, Justin pulled the trigger. So this it's just the same issue, right? He hasn't really improved in the way that he absolutely needs oh. to, which is throw the damn ball, buddy. So here's here's a fun one. Justin Fields' last five games, he has completed 68.7% of his passes, okay. averaged 212 passing yards per game. He has nine touchdown passes, just two interceptions, a 108.5 passer rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has averaged 7.9 yards per attempt, and he's rushed for 291 yards. If you took just his last five games and you averaged them out to a 17-game season, that's 3,600 passing yards, 31 passing touchdowns, just seven interceptions, uh, 989 yards rushing. That's the season we asked for. That's the season we asked for, and yet we're kind of seeing – have you seen him? <laughs> right. It's what was his like, A dot? What was his A dot before that last well, throw of the Vikings game? That's what I gotta, and that's also where I have to know. Even in that scenario, that eighteen, those in those seventeen games, he projects for fifty-four sacks because mm-hmm. he's still taking the sacks, and that's the thing. I think we are currently seeing 
one of the best versions of Justin Fields. Like about what he is playing, he is Justin Fielding as well as he possibly can. And I think that we are seeing the limitations of that. Like it, the box score doesn't tell the whole story. The numbers can look pretty good. The completion percentage can look pretty good. But there is a disconnect between that and the results in the field because there are just the things that, that you really pointed to and said he needs to fix these things. He still hasn't. He is still not seeing the middle of the field. He's still taking too long and taking too many sacks and taking too many hits. And that's why he's lost three fumbles in the two games since he came back. He's getting smacked still. Um, well, and now I will now, we said during the game against the Vikings, right? We were talking about this. We said the game plan was horrible. It made our eyes bleed, right? And they right. were actually tra- they were tracking on on the broadcast average depth of target, which I had never yeah. seen in my life because Justin's was under 0. .5. It, it was wasn't a point three. It wasn't what you wanted. It's not what you need. But, yeah. But what did he do every time he didn't have to throw the ball immediately? What did he do? Right, that the ball for too long, and he he neat. didn't know what to do with that e- extra rusher that the you're, Vikings always. You're talking sent. about a guy. Yeah, you're talking about a guy who had, like you said, had an A dot under two yards or whatever for the game. Still yeah. had a time to throw of three point two five seconds. Yeah, those two things should never happen. Like Tyson Bajan, if Tyson Bajan were in that game, we probably would have won it easily, which is a really disgusting thing to say. But Justin was. He did it. Okay, he did this thing again. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast. I rant to you every time he does it when he does it during a game. But Justin doesn't seem to understand screens. He doesn't seem to understand how they actually work. And because of that, when he hesitates like he always does to throw the ball on a screen pass, his offensive linemen get too far down the field. Yeah. They get too far down field, and then we get a we get a penalty on them because it's an ineligible man downfield. And it's not the offensive lineman's fault. It's that Justin thinks he can wait and there will be a better opportunity or he'll run the ball. But I'm sorry, man. The flag has already been thrown because that's not how a screen pass works. And he does it on screens. He does it on short passes. He does it on on outlet throws to his running back. He waits too long to throw the ball. And it puts us way behind the sticks. And I told, I sent you a text during the Vikings game. Uh, where I said the retrospective on Justin Fields uh, is going to be second and 27, the Justin Fields story, because he digs himself these holes by making these horrible decisions, right? Getting himself in these awful, awful sack spots, fumbling the ball away in these catastrophic scenarios. So even though he's had these numbers that you just rattled off, and those are the numbers we wanted, we said before the season, if he did that, that's what that's our guy, right? We're going to stick with Justin Fields, but the way he has done it has caused such catastrophe that even well, in a win against the Vikings, we're only scoring twelve points. It it's on this guy because he can't run. He can't run in NFL offense. I fuck, I don't want to fucking say that. Yeah, that's when we talk about. I think I've talked about adjusted net yards per attempt sure. on here before, which is where you you take total yardage from passing attempts and you subtract sack yardage and you add a bonus for touchdown passes and you subtract a penalty for interceptions thrown or whatever. And you basically, when you really try to aggregate the value of all of these things and then divide by attempt, how, how many yards do you actually get when you are, when this guy drops back to pass? Um, and then 
pro football reference tracks this, but they also have a set which they call, they have adjusted net yards per attempt plus, which compares a guy to the rest of the league and what league averages. And so 100 in this statistic is, is exactly league average. If you have a 100, then you are a league average passer. Anything above 100 is good. Anything below 100 is bad. So Justin right now on the season, by adjusted yards per attempt plus, which is the same thing as adjusted net yards per attempt plus, but it doesn't count sack yardage. It counts everything else, but it doesn't count sack yardage. On adjusted adjusted yards per attempt plus right now, Justin has an adjusted yard per attempt plus of 103. So he has been 3% better than a league average passer, which is pretty good. You know, 105, 106, 107, that's actually where you tend to get into, like, Pro Bowl territory. Anything at, like, 110 or better is considered really, really like, all pro. Sure. Um, so he, uh, when it comes to just results on plays where he throws the ball, Justin Fields has been better than league average, and I think that's what Bears fans who are still very optimistic about Justin are seeing. It, the problem is not what happens when he throws the ball. The problem is what happens on all the plays where he doesn't throw the ball. If you go to adjusted net yards per attempt plus, if you put that sack damage back in, suddenly he drops to a 95 overall. So he goes from 3% better than average passer on plays where he actually throws the ball to 5% worse when you count all dropbacks and you include sacks. That's the problem. He hurts himself so badly with these sacks and when that doesn't even and, and the fumble and the adjusted net yards per attempt plus doesn't even doesn't even include the value of fumbles which right. things like epa and that's why justin fields has a lot of path like yards per attempt and things like that where he is better than league average right now but if you look at like epa he's in the 20s if you look at success rate he's in the 20s if you look at he it, it's not about what happens when he throws the ball. It's about what happens on all of the plays that he has that do not end up in an attempted pass. And he, he's not – he is getting better results when he throws the ball. But he's not fixing the root problem of of how often he doesn't throw the ball and what happens when he does it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't think I could add anything to that because that's, that's really the story of Justin Fields right now is when he runs the play – the way it's meant to be run, uh, when he actually throws the ball with timing, the pass is perfect. It's not just thrown right to the guy he needs to throw it to. It's it, it's in the correct place. It always gets extra yardage. This is why DJ Moore is always getting yards after the catch. Uh, it's why Darnell Moody gets yards after the catch. It's leading Cole Komet on a pass. Like, it looks beautiful. It's all of these wasted plays where Justin won't pull the trigger or he, he's just simply going to run around to try to make something better happen, even though he doesn't need to. It's these giant fumbles. You know, it's all the fumble yardage that he loses. It's the sack yardage. It's it's trying to run with the ball and then fumbling the ball. Like, he, he almost threw the game against the Vikings, right? It was another two big fumbles. He just tried to take off. Boom. Sorry, lost the ball. It's It's everything that Justin does around being a quarterback now that is the problem. Um, and I just, I don't really see it getting better. Like, do you, do you think there's any amount of coaching where somebody's going to be able to be like, Hey, Justin, you need to pull the trigger in this uh, situation. And he's going to listen. Like, do we honestly think Luke Getze isn't telling him throw the ball to the wide open guy when you see him? Like, I, I don't think it's a matter of coaching at this point. I just, I just think this is who Justin Fields is. Um, and that's usually the case in the third year for a quarterback. Right. Um, 
And I, I don't expect this to improve after. Now, Kyle, if I were the Bears, I'm taking those stats you just gave me, and I'm sending those over to the Atlanta Falcons and saying, hey, here's a guy. Like, look, he didn't work right. out here. Well, again, it's what we've been saying. Justin Fields is not – if the Panthers pick didn't exist, you and I would be sitting here and I would be going over all of the ways Justin Fields has gotten better since last year and all the ways that I hope he can still get better next year. And he still could. He really could. But at this point, you're looking at the math of a guy who's been an NFL quarterback for three years and has yet to be better than average. And you're saying, I don't want an average NFL quarterback. Because if you're asking me, can Justin Fields be an NFL starting quarterback? Yes, he's already proven he is. He is an NFL starting quarterback. And now the guys in this draft, they haven't proven that they're NFL starting quarterbacks. So yes, the potential that both of them just whiff and are are worse than Justin Fields, it's, it's reasonably high. But at the same time, I can tell you that the odds of a guy who hasn't even been drafted yet but has done the kind of things that he's that they've done in college, eventually becoming an all-pro quarterback, right now the odds of that happening is higher than the odds of a guy who has been in the league for three years and hasn't done it yet turning into one of those guys. So yeah, there's probably a you know there's probably a thirty or forty percent chance Drake May or Caleb Williams end up being worse than what Justin Fields is now. But there's probably a thirty or forty percent chance that they end up better. And there's probably a 30 or 40% chance there in the middle that they are the same, that they're just as good. They're an average starting quarterback like he is, but they're three years younger and, and three years cheaper. You can build this roster around those guys and take advantage of their cheap years in a way you can't with Justin Fields anymore because they blew it. They, they did blow it. And again, I've said this many times on Twitter. I said it on here. I will always feel that the Bears failed Justin Fields. They did. It's not his fault. But you need to separate that feeling of it's not his fault and it's not fair to move on from the reality of, like, are you a Justin Fields fan or are you a Chicago Bears fan? Because if you want the team to win going forward, the best guy to do that with probably isn't Justin Fields. And that sucks for me to say. I hate saying it. I despise saying it. But it is what it is. Yeah. Interesting couple weeks we got coming up here. This game against Detroit is is huge suddenly for the Bears. Uh, home against Detroit this weekend at noon. Uh, we're going to be right back here next week, and we're going to have a whole lot to talk about. Um, the week after, we'll probably have uh, we'll have to bullshit about stuff. We're definitely going to talk about these Panthers because this is hilarious. And also, I'm going to pull the clip of exactly how I previewed that team to begin the year because I fucking nailed it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've said a lot here, but a lot of this is based on what's going to happen in the coming weeks, and that all starts here against Detroit this weekend. Yep. All right. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next week when it truly is a bye week, and we will we'll do our best to not even talk about the Bears, folks. We'll just look around the NFL. We did that a couple weeks ago when the Bears had the mini bye. Um, it was a little bit of fun, so it's nice to take a break and talk about good football every now and then, um, or bad football. There's a lot of football footballing out there right now, and we will cover it. Um, and we are your most trusted source for all things football. I know that. So. Uh, have a good weekend, everybody. Go, go, bear, go. Do I say go, bear? I'm so. This season, I hate these seasons where we get caught, and I would love to I just know. be able. And to be clear, if you are a person who's listening to our podcast and your hope is that the Bears do win out and go nine and eight and keep Justin Fields, and you just want it, like you're like it, your whole thing is like I do not root for my team to lose. That's great, man. In the long run, none of what we do or how we feel changes what's actually going to happen. 
Travis and I, mostly, this is therapy. We are grieving and we are working through it the way that best protects our sanity. But if what if what makes you happy is just hoping for your boys to win every Sunday, that's fine too. I hope you keep listening to us. We will never call you an idiot for that or anything like that. We totally get it. We've been there at different points in time too. It's it's all, you know, a lot of that for both of us is that we have post-Cutler traumatic stress disorder. And I think after Jay Cutler, we both vowed that we would never hang on to a guy too long again because uh, that felt awful. So I, I for so for our entire lives, I mean, we have a lot of listeners on here who are older than us who remember a time when the Bears did break through. Um, but for our entire lives, the Bears organization has been one of inertia. It has never really changed, you know, since we started paying attention since mid '90s until now. It's basically been the same organization. They try the same thing every time, and then are amazed it doesn't work, man. You know, and we, so when we talk about, oh, I'm afraid the Bears are going to win this weekend, and then we're going to be stuck here again, that's because what we want least of all is to remain inert, right? We want to move forward as an organization. We want to see some life in the Bears. They have. Yes, as you say, I also like to see the Bears win football games, man. In the end, that's what we all want to see. We want to see this team win. If the Bears do make some kind of run to nine and eight and go crazy, I'm going to be hooting and hollering in the moment. And then I will deal with the existential dread of probably retaining everybody in the offseason. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, see you later, folks. And and, and go Bears if that's your thing. Or or go next Bears head coaching candidate, whatever you are. Uh, if you're Jim Harbaugh, how about you throw the ball 40 times in a game and make me feel a little bit better about it? Um, please, against Iowa, please throw the ball if, 40 if, times. That'll give us a shot. If you're Ben Johnson, you know you 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 just keep you keep being you you keep Johnsoning Ben. So uh, there we go. There you go. Now you know I'm leaving here.